Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to our Bible study of Romans at the Village Church. I'm Jack Maka, senior pastor, and it's great to have you with us today. This is the 14th lesson in our study for the week of April 11, and we're going to be looking at Romans 13, verses 1 through 14. So let's review where we have been very briefly in our study of Romans. Paul has made the case that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that God has acted in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus to save his people because God loves the whole world. And Paul has talked about some of the implications of what it means that Jesus is in the world. He's talked about the fact that everything that happens in our lives is because of grace, God's grace for us, God's gracious offer of a relationship with him, even though none of us deserve it. None of us can accomplish it on our own. It's only by God's grace. Paul has talked about the problem that exists in his world and in his mind as uh, he is a good Jew, but the Jews have rejected their Messiah, it seems. Paul has discussed the fact that even in the Jews' rejection, that has served a good purpose so that Gentiles have come into the faith and eventually God will accomplish all that God plans to accomplish in his gift of grace and saving the world. Then with chapter 12 that we looked at last week, Paul begins to talk about the implications, about the, the what if, the so what, that God has acted in Jesus Christ. In a sense, Paul is beginning to discuss in chapter 12 uh, how grace plays itself out and how it manifests itself, if you will, in a person's life. And in his great 12th chapter, he talks about the fact that God calls us in a relationship with him to become living sacrifices, to offer ourselves to him so that we can be reshaped, remolded, remade into the way we were supposed to be in the first place, and then actually follow the ways of Jesus in the world. Paul wants to <clears throat> talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul wants to talk about Christian character. Paul wants to talk about how Christians should and can live differently in the world because now we know what's going on. We know that the God of grace has offered us himself in love and we can begin to love others as well. So as we begin with chapter 13, we're continuing in that conversation of how grace plays itself out in the way that we live. Let's read together the first seven verses of chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid. For the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, one must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due them. Taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. Okay, this is one of the most important sections in the whole of the scriptures, frankly, for understanding how a Christian is meant to live in the real world. You and I live in a world of politics, of government, of civil authority. What do we do with that? How do we approach that? Well, let's look first of all at the context from which Paul himself was writing. We know that Paul was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a hyper-Jew, if you will. He had come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior. And so in that sense, I suppose we could say Paul was a Christian. But Paul was more than that. Paul was also a Roman citizen. As a Roman citizen, Paul enjoyed privileges that were not given to everyone within the Roman Empire. In fact, Paul used that to his advantage at different times in his life. When he was imprisoned, when he was being attacked or accused by different people, he would claim his protection as a Roman citizen. And now Paul is writing, of course, to people who believe in Jesus, who live and work in Rome, in the the very heart of the most powerful empire that the people in the world at that time and in that place had ever seen. And so Paul is reflecting on what it means to be a follower of Jesus, who believes in Jesus, who believes in God as the supreme authority of all things, but how do we deal with human authority? What is a Christian's relationship then with governing authority? Is it a Christian's responsibility always to obey the state, or maybe sometimes to obey the state, or maybe never to obey the state? Let's talk about it. Number one, we need to note that even though we have freedom because of our relationship with Christ, we have freedom from sin, we have freedom from attachments and obligations to all things except God, That does not mean that we are free from the authority of of the state, that we are free from the authority of civil law. There have been some Christians in history who have said that. They said, we don't have to obey anybody except for God. Well, Paul understands that civil authority, government itself, is meant to be a gift from God. Government is, is meant to provide for the good of God's people. Government is meant to be a way that we organize ourselves, that that we live our lives in, in respectful relationships with others. And so government itself is a gift from God. The civil order is part of the creation order, the gifts from God. Now, our obedience as Christians to civil order, to the government, if you will, is not dependent on whether the government knows God. Some Christians would say, well, I can obey a Christian president or a Christian governor, but but if they're not Christian, I don't have to pay attention to them. That's not what Paul says here. Clearly, Paul understood that the Roman Empire was not a Christian empire, if there is such a thing in this world. 
No, government is a good gift from God, especially as it, as it promotes and, and, and engenders God's purposes in the world. And that's an important fact right there. Government, organizing ourselves so that we can do good things and help each other out. Government is meant to serve God's purposes, just like everything in creation is meant to serve God's purposes. Now, the government itself cannot claim divine authority for everything. Governments are not divine. There is no human being that ever lived or ever will who is divine. There is no collection of human beings that ever lived or ever will who are divine. There have been kings and queens and emperors and dictators who've said, we are a representation of God on earth, therefore you have to obey us. No, government is not divine. Government cannot claim our worship. That's a very important distinction. And so therefore, what Christians have always believed is that when government itself becomes evil, or when government requires evil, then we have a problem because we have a devotion to a higher authority. Now, this one section of Scripture is not the only section of Scripture that talks about a Christian's relationship to the state, if you will. You have to go to other places. Sometimes, in other parts of Scripture, we are told to resist the government, to resist the state, not to give in. And we have ample uh, examples of that in the, in the Old Testament and even some in the New. You have to look only as far as the book of Revelation to understand that sometimes the government itself is completely antithetical to God. And so therein lies the question. When does government cross that line from promoting the good things that God would have us enjoy and therefore being a, a, a tool or an instrument of God in a good way? When does it cross the line into being something that is antithetical to God, that resists the purposes of God in the world? Christians, of course, are meant to obey God above everything else, even the governments that we create. Because all human life is under the authority of God, even government. And that's where you and I have the struggle of living out our lives as Christians. When can we support the government? When must we resist the government? We ultimately have to fall back on our own wisdom as God leads us in that way, of comparing what God would have us be versus what the government would have us be. I can't begin to describe for you all the different ways these issues work out in history or, or where they are present in our world today. One example that I'll give you, though, comes from the history of interpretation of this particular passage in Romans in the Old South, in the antebellum South, in the times of slavery in this country. Slave owners, slave masters used this passage to say to their slaves, you must obey the government. It is legal for us to own slaves. You must obey us because it says right here that every Christian should obey the government. Well, of course, slavery itself was an unmitigated evil, completely antithetical to everything God would have us be and do. 
And so other Christians, thankfully, and others rose up and said, slavery itself is wrong. We must resist that. Now, that's a pretty clear-cut example in our own day. Some things are not as clear-cut, but, but that gives us a warning against saying that the government has absolute authority. But we must also, and this is where we find the paradox of faith, we must also not be too quick to decide that our own purposes are, are above the purposes of the state. Government makes sure that people obey laws, laws that say we shouldn't murder each other, laws that say we should, we should drive the speed limit on the freeways and not drive on the wrong way. There are all kinds of ways that government provokes, promotes the common good. And it's a good thing. And so we support the government. We support the state when it is following God. But when it's not, <laughs> then we rise up and say, no. That's the simplest way that I can describe that to you. Now, Paul goes on to, in chapter 13 to talk about other issues. Let's mention those uh, as we look at verses 8 through 10 in chapter 13. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul always comes back to love. The scripture always comes back to love. The scripture reminds us of who our neighbors are. Our neighbors are everyone. Everyone in God's creation is our neighbor. We are all God's children. Therefore, the way to resolve our questions of, of government, our questions of who we should obey when and what we should do, are ultimately resolved with that commandment to love. What is the loving thing to do that fulfills the highest good of the other person as well as yourself. That's the overarching principle. Now, notice that Paul says, don't, don't just be in love with your neighbor. It's not an emotion. It's, it's not just something that's inside of our hearts. It's something that must play itself out in the way that we live our lives. And so going back to that question of, of slavery, should we obey the state that allows slavery? No, because that is not loving towards those who are enslaved. Again, it's a simple example, but a good one always to fall back on. Let's keep going. Romans 13 verses 11 through 14. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Well, here Paul shifts his thinking away from the problems of how to live in the state and the opportunity of loving each other. Paul begins to shift his thinking now to the future. 
What is the impact of what we believe and know about Jesus, the Savior, and God's love for all? What is the impact on the future? Well, in some ways, Paul seemed to clearly believe that Jesus would be coming back in power in a great cosmic confrontation with all of the evil in the world. Paul seemed to think in many ways that that would happen in his own lifetime. I'm sure that as he continued to live, and I'm sure that as he died and went to be with the Lord, he discovered maybe he was wrong about that. Does that mean that Paul was wrong about everything in this conversation? Well, of course it doesn't. What Paul means to say is that we live every moment of our lives with the possibility that that moment will be the last. I'm fond of saying that there is nothing in the world that makes it possible for you and me to ensure the next five seconds of life. As I'm recording this Bible study, I might not finish it because I might drop dead. As you're listening and watching this Bible study, you might not finish it. We just don't know. You see, the far-flung future is not so much our concern as the immediate future. The next few moments of life that we live are lived solely by the grace of God. And if you live that way, it means you don't live in fear. It means you don't live in dread of just saying, wait, what's going to happen any moment now? No. It means that we live in confidence in the God who is in the future. We've already seen that. God loves us. God has died for us. God has received us into an eternal relationship with him. It begins here and now in this life. It continues on into the next life. And so we do not fall into the idolatry of thinking that we can predict what the future is going to be. If there's anybody I don't care how many Bible degrees they have or how certain they are of God's message. If there's anyone who says to you, the end is coming soon, don't pay attention to them. No one can know. Even Jesus said that. What we can know is what's important, though. What we do know is that God is in the future. God already has the future taken care of. And so we live as creatures who are living from out of the future into the present now. We live from that conviction that God has redeemed and saved his world in Jesus Christ. We are part of that redemption and that salvation as we follow the way of Christ, and we look forward to that time when Christ will return again, however and whenever it happens. We look forward to that time when all of history has come to its appointed end, its appointed completion, where everything is as God made it to be. Live in that confidence. Live in that faith and that trust. Don't worry about the next five seconds or the next 50 years. Only think about now and your eternally present moment with God. God bless. Amen.